Come on now, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Make some noise, man. It's good to see you guys, yes. Man, it's so good to be here. I love days like today where we get to celebrate baptism, and we're so thankful for, I believe it was nine of them, I counted, nine people get baptized today, and so that's so amazing. Yes, come on, give it up for them. Thank you guys so much. We also want to welcome our Grayson campus. Man, what God's doing through Pastor Andrew is just amazing. For some of you who visit with us, we are one church, but in two locations. God has expanded our influence in this region, and we have launched a campus there, a church there in Grayson. They're tuning in right with us today. We're so thankful for them. And everybody watching online. You know, this past Wednesday, you know, in our youth ministry, we're doing one uh, gathering a month for all the students to come, and we have a great worship experience, and then we break out through the weeks for the next three weeks and meet homes and, and small groups, and it's, it's been such a blessing to see these young people, but this past Wednesday, we had two students give their life to Jesus. Is that not amazing? Come on, that's worth shouting. And then right after that, we had college night, and we had like 130-plus college students show up, and it was amazing. It was awesome. If you're a college student, you don't want to miss the next one. I actually challenged every, of our, one, of our, every one of our students on college night to find someone who might be far from God or kind of like not, not in church, bring them, just one person, and pray for them for the next, you know, 30 days. And I'm telling you, the next college night is going to be amazing. I'm so already excited. We get to share the gospel, and we're just hoping and praying that tons of college students give their life to Jesus. As a church, you all be praying with us as well. Man, again, it's so good to see you guys. This is week four of The Cross Equals Love, and today I'm going to talk a little bit about Passover. Now, if you don't know what Passover is, I will share that with you and explain it because we have friends, and especially our Jewish friends, all over the world today, or actually this week coming, will celebrate a Passover meal. They're recognizing the Passover. So if you're sitting here going, what is that, and what does that have to do with me, let me just share that a little bit, some background. And so if you'd like to take notes, this is kind of one of those kind of those, uh, historical little bit, and then we'll bring it today. How does it apply for us today? So if you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, here we go. Uh, so uh, if you remember this guy, some of you may remember this guy. He's just kind of like, I don't know. He's not like a real big deal. Anybody know Moses in the Bible, right? Have you ever heard of Moses? I don't know if you know all of Moses' story. I'm not going to get into all of it. But long story short, this is the Cliff Note version. I love Cliff Notes. Where's my college students? I love the Cliff Notes. Right? Little yellow books. and college. They don't have it now. I don't know. Maybe it's something else. But anyway, I love the Cliff Notes. And, and so this guy named uh, Moses, he was, he was in Egypt, and the Pharaoh was, you know, uh, had all the Israelites and bondage, and they kept having babies over and over and over, and they outgrew the Egyptians. And finally, uh, Pharaoh said, listen, every single baby boy that's born, I want you to take that baby and throw him in the Nile River, and I want you to kill the baby. Now, that's crazy. That's how psycho Pharaoh is. I want you to get rid of the baby. But the midwives who delivered the baby, they wouldn't do it. They didn't want to throw the babies in the Nile. So there's this lady, she gave birth, and uh, she saw this baby as something unique about him. He was special, he was beautiful, and which all moms, we believe that about her, right? All moms believe about your little boy. And she did not want to go with the king's edict, so she hid him. Well, she's like, what I'm gonna do, because eventually someone's gonna see that Moses is, this little baby boy is gonna grow up, and they're gonna say, where did he come from, and why didn't you throw him into the Nile? And so she had this idea. Pharaoh's daughter came to the Nile, and she was taking a bath in the river, and she got this basket, and she weaved it, and she put baby Moses in it, and she floated the baby over towards Pharaoh's daughter. Well, Pharaoh's daughter picks up the baby, goes, look at this little Hebrew boy, so beautiful. Man, this is this little child. You know, I feel so sorry. I I wanna do something with it, and go find the mom, and she found the mom, and then she paid. Moses' mom to nurse Moses with all the moms like, holla, come on, I'll get paid to nurse my baby, right? And so this is amazing. And so um, when the baby got a little bit older, then Pharaoh's daughter adopted 
adopted the baby into the family. And then Pharaoh's daughter is the one named him Moses. So the Egyptian woman named him Moses. Now, what you think about Moses? Think about this. You were raised up in the palace of Pharaoh. Like, I want to think about it. Pharaoh is your granddad. Have you ever thought about that? Like, Pharaoh is Moses' grandpa. It's his step-grandpa, but it's his grandpa. He was adopted into the family. So Moses was raised in the palace, had the greatest education, all the greatest uh, 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 accolades you could get, all the money, all the wealth of the world was focused in on Egypt. And if you're Moses, you're like, man, this is pretty good right here, right? I mean, this is amazing. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us something happens. Moses goes through identity crisis. He had to make a decision. Am I going to be known as a Hebrew and go be enslaved with my people? Or am I going to be known as the grandson of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter, son, and live free? I'm going to be in slavery or I'm going to be free. I want to do what God's called me to do potentially, or I want to stay here where I have all the power, I have all the pleasure, and I have all the possessions that I'll ever want for the rest of my life. I want you to think about this. The Bible tells us in Hebrew 11, Moses walked away from what most of us spent our whole entire lives to get. Power, I want to be recognized, I want to be the boss. Pleasure, do whatever I can, when I can. Possessions, get anything I want, how I want it, when I want it. Moses walks away from what most people spend their whole life trying to get. Well, if you know the story, Moses, long story, runs into the desert, hides, and he's out in the desert chilling, minding on business. And then God appears to him and speaks through a burning bush. You may have heard of the burning bush before. That's crazy. You know what's crazy? Not that a bush talked to Moses, but Moses talked back to the bush. That's crazy, y'all. I mean, couldn't imagine if some of your buddies went hunting and they said, man, listen, I was out hunting, this tree started talking, I started talking back to the tree. You'd be like, what are you thinking, right? I mean, that's crazy. So God said, hey, I've seen my people in bondage. It's time to go get my people, let the people go. And Moses is like, I can't speak. I got a stuttering problem. I don't know what to do. And he says, take the staff in your hand, take the staff, go with Aaron and go to Pharaoh, your step granddad, by the way, your grandpa. And I want you to tell them, let my people go. And Moses is like, well, what am I supposed to say? And who am I supposed to say who sent me? And then Moses has this very famous passage in Exodus chapter six. Now this passage is the foundational passage for the Passover that people have been celebrating, watch this, for 3,500 years. This week, they will continue in that tradition that started right here 3,500 years ago, and this is the foundational passage. I'm gonna read it, and then we'll come back to it. God said this to Moses, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the laborers of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great judgments, and then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under all the laborers or the bondage or the slavery of the Egyptians. This is the key verse for Passover. So Moses Moses is like, okay, goes back to Egypt, walks in and says, hey, yo, granddad, grandpa. Now, he didn't say that. That's not in your translation there. But Pharaoh is his grandpa. Says, you need to let God's people go. And if you know the story, right? Pharaoh said no, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And all of a sudden, he's like, okay, God's gonna bring judgment on you. I'm just trying to give you a warning. And if you ever watched the movie The Mummy, you remember the movie Mummy? And here comes the 10 plagues, right? Here's like the 10 plagues of Egypt. You got water that turns to blood. 
Ooh, that's disgusting. I don't care who you are, that's, that's pretty disgusting. So you got water that turns to blood, you got frogs, and you got gnats, and you got flies, and then you got livestock that dies, and then everybody gets bulls. Now, come on, that's crazy. Everyone gets bulls on their body. Fire falls from heaven. Locusts eats up everything, and then there's darkness all over the land. But it's the last one. It's the 10th plague that really gets everyone's attention and where honestly Passover was invented. God says this, I have put to shame all the gods of Egypt. And I don't know if you know this or not, but those 10 plagues actually represent, or it goes against the 10 different types of gods that the Egyptians worship. And he comes to the last one. He said, here's what's gonna happen. The death angel is gonna visit Egypt. And I'm gonna take every firstborn male son, human and animal, that night. That's harsh. God's about to judge them big time. But God, because he's gracious and mercy, says, however, I'm gonna give you a way out. What is the way out? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find the lamb. Lamb is like the Egyptian sacred animal. You will be killed if you hurt a lamb. I want you to go find a lamb and I want you to tie it up for four days. On that 14th day, I want you to sacrifice the lamb. I want you to find a hyssop stick. I want you to take that hyssop branch. I want you to dip it in that blood. And then outside of your house, I want you on the doorpost. I want you to put the blood above the door and I want you to put blood on the side of the door. And when, if you would do that, when the death angel comes, the death angel will see the blood that's been applied to your house and the death angel will pass over your house and spare your firstborn son. Do you believe me? Everyone could have done this. So the Israelites going, okay, I'm gonna go with Moses. I'm gonna trust that he heard from God. And so they got that meal, they ate their meal and they got ready, got their bags packed because they believe when God says it, if God says it's gonna rain, you better grab an umbrella because it's gonna rain. And so they get everything ready and everything. And they, they sacrifice the lamb and they take the lamb. They, in fact, they sacrifice at twilight the lamb. They sacrifice the lamb. They take the hyssop. They put the blood on their doorpost. They shut the door and all the families got into the house and they just waited. Please, I hope this works. Please, I hope this works. Please, I hope this works. Please, God, don't protect. Please don't take my son. Please don't take my son. And then morning comes. And then there's weeping. And there's yelling. And there's sadness. Because those who did not obey God, God took their firstborn son. Because God is executing judgment on the Egyptians for their sin. God poured out his wrath on the Egyptians because of their sin. And now, if you know the story right, he lets them go, he comes to the Red Sea, he takes his, splits the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry ground, the Egyptians chase them back, and the Red Sea collapses, and drowns the Egyptians and they go on their way, making their way to the promised land. One year later, one year later from Passover night, that night where the death angel passed over and saved the first one, they celebrated. And they celebrated a meal together that people all over the world will celebrate this week. They still have been doing it for 3,500 years. They celebrated a meal called the Passover meal. And in this Passover meal, they celebrated the four promises that Moses told them in Exodus chapter six. And so to celebrate the four promises, what they would do is they would pour four cups of wine and through the different parts of the meal, they would stop, 
Paul's read the promise of God and then they would drink to it. So they would have one cup. If you could see this, they would put one cup, two cup, uh, three cup, and the fourth cup. And they would take these cups because each cup represented a promise from God. So go back to Exodus 6. I'm, I'm going to share this with you because this is very significant. This is very important for even us today. So they go over here and they have the meal and they celebrate the meal and they go over to the first cup and they would take the first cup, usually would be the father of the group here, and they would take the first cup and this was called the cup of sanctification. This is the cup where God says, I will bring you. Now look what he says in Exodus 6. He says, I will, here's the first promise. I will bring you out from under the burdens, the slavery of the Egyptians. So they would stand there and they would read that God said he did it and guess what? God did it. He did exactly what he said he would do. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna remember the promise that God gave us and he released us from the burdens. Then they would drink the cup of wine and then they would put the cup back and they would go in with the meal and some of them had bitter herbs and they would eat some bitter, bitter herbs. I would call that probably kale, you right? And they would eat some really bitter herbs and, and when they eat it, it was supposed to be so bitter to remind them of the agony and the bitterness that the Egyptians put the Israelites through with 400 years of being enslaved. 400 years of bondage. So they would eat the bitter herbs to remind them that their ancestors, how bitter it must have been for them. And of course, at the first Passover, they knew it because a lot of them were still alive, obviously. And then they would come to the second cup. And then the dad would stand up and he would read Exodus 6 here. They still do this to this day. And this is where he would say, I delivered you from the bondage. This was the cup of deliverance or the cup of judgment where God judged the Egyptians and he delivered his people. And so we would stand here and we'd say, we are so thankful, we're grateful that God delivered us from the Egyptians. And then they would drink the cup and then they would put the cup down and they would go on with their meal. And then they would come to the third cup. Now this is very significant. This was known as the cup of redemption. This is where they would take the third cup and they would say where God promises, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Now, what's the word redeem mean? Redeem means to be purchased. It means something bought. Where does this come from? Hey, remember that lamb? That lamb redeemed you because the lamb died. Its blood was applied to the doorpost and I allowed that outstretched arm to redeem you well, the lamb took your place, actually your firstborn someplace. So when you drink this cup, remember there was a substitute. Remember it was that lamb's blood. Remember I redeemed you. And when they got to the third cup, they would go, man, thank God there was a substitute for my son. That there was that something died that my boy would live. And they was, took the third cup and they would drink the third cup in remembering that God redeemed them with an outstretched arm. And then they would go on with the meal and then they'd get to the end of the meal. After everything was over, everything was done, and they would get to the fourth cup as the final reminder of the fourth cup. And look what it says in Exodus 6. He says this, this is the cup of, this is very important, of protection. This is a cup of restoration. God says this in Exodus 6, I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. Now, this language is marriage language. God says, I will take you. That's marriage language. God took them out Mount Sinai where he married the Israelites. Basically, I will be your God. I will be your husband. You'll be my bride. I will take you, and I will protect you 
forever. And they took the fourth cup saying, thank God that he married us. Thank God that we are his people, that he will protect us and we never have to go back to Egypt ever again. And at the end of the cup of protection, they would drink it and they would put it down and then they lived for 364 more days. And the year again on the anniversary of Passover, they do it over and over and over and even till today. We have friends all over the world who would take the Passover supper meal to remember that 3,500 years ago, the death angel passed over the Israelites in Egypt and they still practice that to today. Now you're saying, what does that have to do with me? Well, fast forward 1,500 years. Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus, since a little boy, was doing the Lord. He, he would do this since he was a little boy. As long as he could remember, he would take the Passover. Jesus, here comes riding in the town on Palm Sunday, today, on a donkey. You'll remember that. And everybody had palm branches going, Hosanna, Hosanna on the highest. And then Monday come and he curses the fig tree and he goes in the town. And that's when like Jesus goes like AWOL. He takes a whip and he cracks it. And he runs people out of the temple and everybody scatters out of the temple. And then on Tuesday, he debates back and forth with religious people. And then on Wednesday, the Bible's silent. Well, scholars believe it was Wednesday that Judas was in the marks of getting 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. This is what's kind of the silent Wednesday that we believe this is when Judas went to the religious people going, okay, I'll betray him for 30 pieces of silver, which was a common work can at that time. But the Bible prophesied that, that he will be handed over for 30 pieces of silver. And then on Thursday, remember Thursday? That's in the upper room. That's when they did the Passover. That's when Jesus bent down and he washed the disciples' feet. This is the night before he was crucified. And Jesus is now waiting eagerly to celebrate this Passover meal with his disciples because he's about to walk them through and Jesus is going to lead the Passover meal with them. Now, they're just teenage boys. They've been doing this their whole life. They knew exactly what to do. They knew exactly the words. They knew that Jesus knew the script. They knew that Jesus has Exodus 6 memorized. Hello, he's the author of it. He already knew that. And Jesus gets to this point to celebrate Passover. Look what it says in Luke 22, verse 15. Jesus says, I have been very eager to eat this Passover, this one. This is a very unique Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. So he took some of the bread and he gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But after supper, he took the cup of wine. What cup did he take? When you put all these, when you put, look at Matthew and Mark and Luke and you put these together, we realize that he's taken the third cup. So he's already took the first cup. Yes, we remember what God did, delivers out of the bondage, that's good. Now he has the third one. What is so significant about this? He's on the third cup and look what he says. This is the new covenant. At that moment, these teenage boys went, uh, Jesus went rogue here. This is not the script. It's not how my mama done it, because my mama's always right. My mama always said, this is how you remember when you got Mama said, the Passover came. Like, no, no, Jesus like, I'm going AWOL. I'm going off script. He took the third cup, and look what it says. This is a new covenant. Now, what's a covenant? The word testament, Old Testament, New Testament, the word testament just means covenant. There's an old covenant, and now there's a new covenant. The old covenant, you'd sacrifice lambs and animals once a year to forgive your sins. Now there's a new covenant, a new redemption cup. 
And now the disciples are like, oh, something got into Jesus. What's going on? But no one said a word. Jesus, look what he says. This is a new covenant, an agreement between his people and God. An agreement confirmed what? With my blood, which was poured out as a sacrifice for you. And then he drank it. And all the Jewish boys are like, what just happened? That's not the script. Jesus went, issued something new that we have been doing for 1,500 years. Now Jesus said there's a new covenant, and now he's talking like he's a lamb. Now he's, remember the lamb on the fourth day they tied up? The lamb that was, that was slaughtered at twilight back in Exodus? Now he's saying he's that lamb. What does it sit in surprise us? Remember John the Baptist? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist told him that. There he is. He's the Lamb. He's the last one to be slain. Paul writes to this. He says that Jesus Christ was our Passover Lamb, and he was sacrificed for us. This should not have surprised them. But you know what's something fascinating? I don't have time to jump into all this, but here's something very fascinating. When you look at Mark and Matthew, and Luke, Jesus never drunk the fourth cup. He stops at the third. He actually says, I will not drink a cup of wine again until we enter the kingdom together in my glory. And guess what cup he leaves off the table? The cup of God's protection. See, Jesus knows what he's about to go through. And he doesn't drink the cup to remind him of God's protection. And he leaves it alone after the meal. Because the Bible says that the disciples got up now and they go to the Mount of Olives. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane is a place where they took olive, you know, olive, you know, olives and they would press them and they would crush them. God means press, sesame means oil. They would press oil out of this. Jesus goes to an oil press and he looks at Peter, James, and John. He said, hey, guys, y'all come with me. We're going to go into the garden, and we are going to begin to pray. And so he gets to the garden, and he walks out in the garden. This would have been on the 14th day. He walks out in the garden. It would have been a full moon to pray. Now, what is he doing in the garden? What is so significant about this? Would you know what Exodus calls the night of a Passover? It's called the night of watching. It's where you would go out into the garden at night after Passover and you would wait and watch as the death angel came. You would wait and watch. Is God going to do something tonight? So the night of watching is where you would go into the garden and you would stay up and some stayed up all night just waiting and watching. Maybe God's going to do it because they were told that Elijah was going to come before the Messiah. What Jesus told them, Elijah already came in the spirit of John the Baptist. He was the front runner. Elijah came through John the Baptist. I am now the Messiah. But they didn't get it. Listen to what Exodus 12, 42 says. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all people of Israel throughout all generations. And every single night after Passover, every one of these boys would have went outside and they would have looked at the sky and they would have watched, waiting to see if God would do something. 
In fact, some little Jewish boys would sit because their parents wouldn't let them outside at night. They would sit with the front door open to their house and they would look out and wait. Maybe, just maybe, Elijah would show up and the Messiah would come. They watched and they waited. This was a night of watching. Now, this makes sense when we understand what happens next. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and says, guys, watch, pray. I'm gonna go and pray. Look what it says in 36, Matthew 26. 36, then Jesus came to them to a place called Gethsemane. He told his disciples, sit here for a while while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him and he began to grieve and become distressed. I don't even have time to go into what those words literally physically means and what was going on in his body. He said to them, my soul was deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. What do you think they're watching for? They're not waiting and watching for Judas to bring you know, this tribe in to arrest Jesus. They didn't even know that was even happening. They're not waiting and watching that someone's gonna come and snatch Jesus. They're watching to see if God's gonna show up. And guess what? He did the very next day. They're waiting, they're watching. He says, can you not wait and watch? And look what he says in verse 39. He said, a little beyond for them, he fell to his face and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not as I will, but as your will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, you mean you cannot even watch with me for one hour? For 1,500 years after Passover, this was the night of watching. And let's wait and watch and let's see what God's gonna do. And Jesus says, God, if there's any way, please let this cup pass. I'm watching. Come on, guys, keep praying, keep watching. Let's see if God does something. I'm watching. We have been watching for 1,500 years. God, show up. You see, when you know the context, how it opens up the story even more. And what does Jesus ask? He said, let this cup pass for me. What cup was he talking about? Today, I wanna suggest to you, there's a fifth cup. There's a fifth one. And Jesus is in the garden. And he says, please let this cup, let this cup pass for me. What was this cup? What cup did he have to drink? Well, the prophets tell us what this cup is. In Jeremiah 25, 15, it says, this is the cup of God's wrath. This is the cup of God's furious anger and hatred towards sin. And when Jesus realized that he had to drink the cup of wrath, the Bible says his sweat began to turn to blood because he was so distressed in his body, not only to take on his sin because he never sinned, but to take on your sin and my sin. And he says, please let this one pass for me. 
Is there any other way? And the heavens were silent. And on the very next day, Jesus drunk the cup of God's wrath poured out on all sin. Paul says that he who knew no sin became our sin so that we could have fellowship with God. And at 3 p.m. on Friday, he was hanging on a cross. And what did he say? It's finished. He said, Testelestai, which is a Greek word. It's an accounting word that they would write on receipts, Testelestai. It means your bill has been paid in full. And as he said, remember the cup of redemption has poured out my blood. I am the redeemer. I have purchased you. It's paid in full. I have drunk God's damnation that he should pour out on you. I drunk it for you. And then he gave up his spirit. And you know what's fascinating? To go all back to Exodus. Take the lamb. Tie it up. Has to be blemish, no blemishes. Jesus was sinless. I want you to sacrifice the lamb at twilight. You know what time twilight is? 3 p.m. You know what time Jesus gave his last breath up? 3 p.m. And what Jesus just said, I am the final and the last Passover lamb. No more sacrifices. No more bloodshed. And I took your punishment. And here's the good news. For every single person who repents of their sin and puts their faith and trust in Jesus will never, ever, 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 ever have to drink the wrath of a holy, righteous God. But for those who do not, and they reject Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb, as the son of God, God's wrath will be poured out on you for eternity. And all he says, if you will believe that I came, that I died, and that I got up out of the grave for you, you will be saved. When we tell people we've been saved, what do we mean we've been saved from this? Because Jesus poured it out and took it for us. You've been saved from God's wrath. That's when you tell people I got saved, that's what you say. He saved me from his wrath. And Jesus drank that cup so that we could have the cup of fellowship with our heavenly father. I'm gonna ask you just for a moment if you just bow your heads. I have two invitations I want to invite you to. Here's the first one. Whether you're watching at one of our campuses, online, driving, listening, whatever you're doing, sitting at home. Because you are here 
and you hear this and you're listening, it's not too late for you. Today is the day of salvation. Today, you need to repent of your sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus and realize that he is the one who took your punishment. He's the one that redeemed you. He was the one that was our lamb that was sacrificed. And when we apply his blood to us, guess what? Death passes over us. And we get to live for all eternity with Jesus. Listen, if that's you, do not delay. I beg you, I implore you, give your life to Jesus today while there's still time. What do I do, pastor? What do I do? Listen, right where you sit or wherever you are, you can say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today I repent of my sin and I put my faith and trust in you. And if that is you, you know what the Bible says? You've been saved. That you don't have to face God's wrath because Jesus took your place. What a glorious moment for you to experience that. And now because you have been now brought into the family of God, today when we celebrate communion together, you can celebrate with us. But if you're here and you're just still just checking this God thing out and you don't know yet any, you know, for sure, listen, you keep coming back. But just in a moment when we take communion, it's for those who put their faith in Jesus. Here's my second invitation. For those of us who are believers, would you pray right now this simple prayer to say, God, is there anything between me and you? And if the Holy Spirit pricks your mind with something, here's what I want you to do. I want you to confess it. Don't try to justify it. Don't say, no, I deserve. No, 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 no. Just confess it. Confess it. So that when we take the Lord's Supper together as a family, that our hearts will be pure before God. So if there's something between you and God, Right now, just confess it. And the Bible says he is faithful just to forgive us of our sins when we confess our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As you grab your cup, there should be one right in front of you. If not, it should be right below you. I want to celebrate communion. And I hope and pray that today you see this in a little bit different light. As if you were there that night when Jesus took this bread and took this juice, now you know the significance of it. And while when we take communion, it shouldn't just be something haphazardly that we do, that we genuinely, truly remember what Jesus has done for us. You know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, 11 verse 23 says, For I pass on to you what I've received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread on that final Passover meal he had with them. He gave thanks and he broke it to pieces and says, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup. What cup? The third cup, the cup of redemption. He took the cup of redemption and says, what? This is a new covenant because there's a new lamb. And it's me, I'm the pastor. It's now my blood. There's a new covenant between God and his people. And in agreement confirmed with what? With my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For as you do this, and as you remember and eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing that the Lord died, but watch this, he's coming back. And he's gonna come back, remember the fourth cup? I'm going to take you to be my people. I'm gonna take you home to be with me. And it's gonna be this, this great marriage feast where God sees his people and we are the bride of Christ. And he says, I will take you to be mine. And we will celebrate this together when we all get to glory. And Jesus says, I will not drink again until when we get there with him to celebrate what he has done for us. What a glorious day that's gonna be. So next time you take communion, Make sure you remember what he did for you. And he poured his life out and his blood out. And he took the wrath that we deserve. And that's why we celebrate. And that's why next week when Easter or Resurrection Sunday, we're going to celebrate that he lives. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Father, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that's new every day. I'm so thankful that you forgive us when we blow it, are patient with us. And I pray that we never get over our salvation, that we'll always remember the day when we've been marked with your blood, <laughs> when we confessed our sin, we've been stained with your love, that death now has no grip on me. Death has no sting now. That when I breathe my last breath and see you face to face, that death now passes over me and I get to spend eternity with you. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. So Jesus, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see how much you love us and that this week, we will be a group of people to go and to get people so they can experience the freedom, so they can experience this grace, so they can come to realize that you are the Passover lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. For it's in his name that we pray.